Pastor Xavier Reese and the fundamental ingredient of sin. Our society of progressivism is so liberal and tolerant today that it uh, provides philosophies and belief systems that allow people to escape their personal responsibility for their actions, their words, and sins, and their consequences brought in their own lives. What's new? Adam, what'd you do? It's the woman you gave me. It begins way back there. We're sinners. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One of the most popular forms of entertainment is court TV. Show after show portrays the sad story of a business deal gone bad, disagreement between friends, and broken marriages. And there seems to be one common denominator. Plaintiff after plaintiff is more than eager to proclaim, It's not my fault. Today, Pastor Xavier helps clear the air with today's challenging study, The Buck Stops With You. Let's listen. Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel is um, given a revelation from Yahweh to confront the people in view of their refusal to um, accept personal responsibility for sin. Nothing has changed, has it? It's like that all today. The prophet does it in a legal fashion, like a lawyer expounding one point after another before the divine courtroom, so that when he is through, there is no basis for their bad theology. And that's what it comes down to. People have bad theology today. They try to make human reasoning and logic to conform as a standard rather than letting the Scripture speak for itself. Ezekiel gives to us the law and principles of personal responsibility for sin here. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you say this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour graves, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, saith the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine, the souls of the father, as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul whose sins shall die. If a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten in the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defile his neighbor's wife, nor approached the woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, uh, but has given him bread to the hungry and covered the nakedness with clothing, if he has not exacted usury, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, and executed true judgment between man and man, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. If he has begotten a son who is a robber or a shedder of blood, who does any of these things and does none of these duties, but has eaten in the mountains or defiled his neighbor's wife, if he has oppressed the poor and the needy, robbed by violence, nor restored the place, lifted up his eyes to the idol, or committed abominations, if he has extracted usury, or exacted usury, or taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. If he has done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. If, however, he begets a son who sees all these sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise, who has not eaten on the mountains, has uh, lifted his eyes on the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, but has not oppressed anyone nor withheld a pledge nor robbed by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the nakedness with the clothing, 
who has withdrawn his hand from the poor and not received usury or increase, but has executed my judgments and walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father, but he shall surely live. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and did what was uh, not good among his people, behold, he shall uh, die for his iniquity. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the iniquity or the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes, my, observed them. He shall surely live. The soul whose sin shall die. The son shall not bear the, guilty of, the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right and shall, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from the righteousness, uh, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, and he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn from your, all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, saith the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Ezekiel gives to us the law and principle of personal responsibility for sin. And it unfolds for us in this way. First, the accountability of every person to God for their sin. Verse 1 through 4. The accountability of every person to God for their sin. Secondly, 5 through 20, uh, the major section. Three cases still illustrate the principle of accountability to God for sin. And then 21 through 32, the accountability of sin made void by God due to repentance from sin. Everybody has their own belief, but he's going to wipe it all out right here. Let's begin here with the accountability of every person to God for sin. Notice first the confrontation of their bad theology, verse 1 and 2. In verse 1, the source of the message came to Ezekiel was heavenly, divine. The prophetic formula marks once again the authority behind the content, the word of the Lord. These are not his words, not his opinions. Many people say, well, that's your opinion. No, it isn't. It's the word of God. The prophet was the recipient of the message. It came to me. As we read over and over and over again, the pattern is, is repeated. 
Notice in verse 2, the occasion for the revelation was that the people were blaming their ancestors for their sins. What's new? It began with Genesis. Adam, what'd you do? It's the woman you gave me. Yahweh, notice, confronts the people via the prophet Ezekiel for their bad theology. Listen to the words. What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, God confronts them, their bad theology. Today, nobody wants to confront anybody. Don't correct them. You've got to be tolerant. Really. Would you appreciate if a car was going to hit you and somebody say, hey, watch out? Or would you think they were impertinent, taking their business where they belong? Interesting. The people have to put to memory here their belief in a proverb. They believed it so much. They put it in a little song, a little proverb. The proverb regards the land of Israel as Yahweh here. He, he, he says, now, now you explain this to me. How do you get this? They had other proverbs, as you know. We looked at the one in chapter 12, verse 22, where they say the days are prolonged and every vision fails. Oh, don't worry about those prophecies. They haven't failed. They're not for us. They're long ago. People say, oh, the Bible, it's archaic. Oh, the Bible, men wrote it. Oh, the Bible, you can't trust it. Well, you'll change your tune when you stand before God. None of that will hold any water. Yahweh has already given signed sermons, allegories, parables, and riddles in chapter 4 through 7, 12, 16, 17. The proverb went as follows. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are on edge. The word proverb, Michelle, means a proverbial saying with the marks of a mini parable here. The bl they blaming their fathers of sinning in the past, by the phrase, our fathers have eaten sour grapes. And then they were seeing themselves as innocent victims by the second line, and our teeth are on edge, meaning they're, 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 they're real sharp, real abrasive. You ever eat a lemon and how your teeth feel? That's what it's talking about. They were taking no personal responsibility for their own evil condition and judgment, but rather throwing it back on their parents. And yet we saw Ezekiel 8, all the idolatry, all the pornography, everything's going on. Today's the same thing. Nobody wants to take responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. No, it's your fault. They were saying that as the children, they were reaping to all the evil and wickedness sown by their parents. Now, we're going to see there's certain truth to that, but not regarding the context that he's saying for judgment. The same proverb was being used in Jerusalem. Jeremiah gives it to us. Our father's sin and and are no more, but we bear their iniquity. Jeremiah 31, 29, and Lamentations 5, 7 speaks about eating sour grapes. Same thing. Remember, he's in Jerusalem, Ezekiel's in Babylon. Now notice in verse 3 through 4, you get the correction of their bad theology. God won't leave you where he's at. He's not like the high school teachers of our, our educational system. He won't just pass you. He'll correct you. Verse 3 says, the one speaking here is Yahweh again. The authority is supreme under an oath. As I live, saith the Lord God, he is Lord Adonai, the master, the owner of all mankind. He created us. He is God, Yovi, a variation of Yahweh, the covenant God. He has full authority. Notice the proclamation is a command, not a suggestion. You shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Because it's bad theology. And there's a lot of bad theology in the church today. Hocus pocus, dominocus. We get little phrases, faith in faith. 
Seed faith, this and that. Where do you get that? The proverb was shifting responsibility for one's own sin. The proverb was charging God with injustice, punishing them for the sins of their parents. You see, ultimately, your bad theology offends God and it charges God. So you want to make sure you stick close to the scriptures. Notice the absolute principle of sin is stated right from the beginning. Verse 4. Every creature being God's belonging to him, he says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The idea in the Hebrew is that both are responsible to God for the same standard. He doesn't hold a child less responsible than the Father. We don't get this in the English, but that's what the Hebrew is telling us. It's the same standard for you, for me. I, as a pastor, don't have a, a different standard. You, as a Christian, don't have a different standard. We hold the same covenant. We hold the same grace. We hold the same faith. We have the same word. The word soul, nefesh, the totality of a person or life force within him, man's body, soul, and spirit. Every created being whose sins will perish. The soul who sins shall die. The one who sins, who, wants, who lives contrary to what God created him for, the one who, who, who snubs his nose at the word of God, the one who says that, that God does not exist, that this is not the standard, and you live your own life, you will not only die physically, but you will perish eternally, the Bible says. The word die, moose, cannot mean just physical death alone, for everybody dies physically. That's the penalty of the fall. Christian and non-Christian die physically. Jeremiah told the people, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour graves, his teeth shall be set on edge. Jeremiah 31, 30. It's based on Deuteronomy 24, 16. A father will not die for the son or the son for the father's sins. If all the unsaved people in the world were lined up in a single file at your front door, the line would reach around the world 30 times. And the horror of horrors is that this line would grow about 20 miles each day. It ought to make us think what we're doing to reach the loss. And we don't get too comfortable in our pretty little church and our pretty little dress and our pretty little theology. Amazing. Remember where you were? Dead and trapped as a sin. That's where I was. People in um, today's um, postmodern and post-Christian society have bad theology regarding many things. Let me give you some of them. Some people have their own proverbs. They say uh, God helps those that help themselves. But it's not found in the Bible. But everybody knows it. They say, uh, uh, the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. But the context is, don't judge critically. Sincere is like a Pharisee. It doesn't say, don't make judgments. In fact, we are called to make judgments, to call people on the carpet. Bad theology. Others believe that man is good, but God says man is a sinner, depraved, uh, desperately wicked heart, Jeremiah 17, 9. Still others believe that if you do enough good things and live morally and ethically, that person will go to heaven. But Jesus dismisses this when he speaks to the rich young ruler. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, well, obey the commandments. I did for my youth, all of them. Jesus didn't call him a liar. He says, one thing you lack. The guy goes, what? Go sell all you have, give it to the poor. Bum, bummed out, walked away sorrowful because he had many riches. Did God want his money? No. He put his finger on his heart. Though he did everything outwardly, the, the Ten Commandments, Inwardly, he didn't. The problem was his heart. Some think they're Christian because they're Americans. Or they're baptized through a church. Or they have a, their, their name in a ledger. 
bad theology. Our society of progressivism is so liberal and tolerant today that it uh, provides philosophies and belief systems that allow people to escape their personal responsibility for their actions, their words, and sins, and their consequences brought in their own lives. Uh, we have the modern school of dysfunctionalism that's been around for a while. The school that teaches that uh, you know everything is wrong is really somebody else's fault because your parents didn't play uh, jacks with you or hopscotch or you know you ate some Twinkies or you know uh, somebody beat you up and took your milk money at school. You know, welcome to life. Either you're codependent, you're an enabler. No, you're not. You're a sinner. That's what you are. The philosophy of our fathers have eaten sour grapes and our teeth are on edge produces two things. Listen to me real carefully. This functionalism, whatever you want to call it, is the same philosophy. First, fatalism. There's no hope because I'm trapped. It's not my fault. Fatalism. Secondly, irresponsibility. Therefore, everyone else has to put up with you and tolerate you. Well, this is unacceptable to God and it should be to us as Christians. He says, man is without excuse, Romans 1 and 2. By conscience, by history, and by creation, you are without excuse. If you don't know God this morning as a, as a born-again believer in a personal relationship, because from creation, you know there's a creator. From conscience, you know good and evil. But you've calloused your conscience. You deny creation because you deny creator. And history tells you he came and died for you, and you're saying, no, he didn't. You're guilty before God. Three strikes, you're out. I play baseball. You're out. The accountability of every person to God for sin, their sin, is universal. Whether you're Mexican, you're, you're English, you're French, you're white, you're black, you're green, you're blue, I don't care. Male, female, it's universal. Now, notice secondly, he gives us three cases to illustrate the principle of accountability to God for sin. Five through 20. The first one is five through nine. Now, follow carefully. The first generation regards the individual living for righteousness because their theology is generational sin comes to me, right? Follow. In verse five, the conditional clause is stated in the positive. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, the reference to just is the Hebrew word tzedek, meaning righteous living, having a wide variety of activities and behavior in Scripture. The standard righteousness, notice, stipulated the Mosaic law. What is lawful, mispot, and right, tzedek again. Both words are repeated together throughout the text and throughout the Old Testament because they are contiguous and they are overlapping. They're connected all the time with living right and being judged. Righteous or unrighteous, just or unjust, okay? They go together. Now notice 6 and 8, the conditional clause regarding the specific area of sin is stated in the negative and positive to affirm his righteousness. And all these lists that we're going to go through, I'm not going to bother giving you a copy, they're found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy for the most part, the law. The area of sexual rights of idolatry I mentioned first. If he has not eaten on the mountain, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. We've studied the idolatry effect. These are the high places. Sexual rights, big churches. Everybody joined them. <laughs> the area of marital sexual honor 
and pure, ritual purity, nor defile his neighbor's wife, nor approach a woman during her impurity. Because they joined themselves to these cults, they had to take their turn at being temple prostitutes, ritual prostitutes. So you were not only having sex with another woman, but with somebody else's wife in these rituals. Pretty heavy, isn't it? But isn't that today? Open marriages, living together, go to Vegas, what goes in Vegas stays in Vegas. Amazing. The area of social and ethical extortion and oppression comes in verse 7 and 8. The general statement is if he has not oppressed anyone. The specific forms are three. But has restored to the debtor his pledge. In other words, he took a coat to hold it until he paid back the money or whatever it was. Uh, Has robbed no one by violence. He has given bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing. Good things. If he has not extracted usury nor taken any increase, taken advantage financially, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and man. So he's done good. He lives right. Righteousness, man and man. The summary statement now of this righteous man is given in verse 9. The one who lives righteously. The condition is, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully. Faithfully. He what? He is just. God's the lawgiver. The verdict? He shall surely live. He's the judge that acquits him of all charges. Why? Because there's no evidence to convict him. You understand? There's a courtroom here. The authority is divine, says the Lord God. He's the perfect judge. He sees all things, knows all things. He knows the heart. He knows your thoughts before you get them in your brain, Psalm 139.2 says. Now, here's where their theology breaks down. He just exposes them. Verse 10 through 13. The second generation regards the father not being accountable for his son's sins. But notice, verse 10, the conditional clause is stated in the negative. A father who has an evil son is stated. One who steals. If he begets a son who is a robber. One who murders or a shedder of blood. One who is guilty. One who, uh, who does any of these things. Now, the conditional clause regarding the specific areas of sin is stated in the negative to affirm his guilt as the previous one. Follow. The area of idolatry and sexual rights and marital sexual dishonor again. Does none of these duties, but has eaten on the mountain or defiled his neighbor's wife. The area of social, moral, ethical extortion and oppression comes next in 12 to 13. If he has oppressed the poor and uh, needy, robbed by violence, not restored the pledge, lifted up his eyes to the idol, or committed abominations, if he has exacted usury or taken increase. Then the summary statement comes again. This is divine courtroom. Look it. Shall he then live? He shall not live. Wow. The judge says, you are guilty. Did you do this? Did you say this? Are these your words? Yes. You are guilty. Follow closely because the prophet is showing that their theology breaks down. The second generation, which is this one, is evil. But the first generation was what? Righteous. Now this second generation, which is evil, isn't credited for the good of the first one, right? So why would God blame and judge the second generation if it was good for the bad of the first one? Wow, it breaks down. It breaks down. The condition is restated. If he has done any of these abominations, the verdict is repeated for emphasis, not for boredom. He shall surely die. He's making a clear point. You understand what I'm saying? He will surely die. 
personal responsibility of sin is stated, his blood shall be upon him. Whoa. You and God, me and God, no one else. By the way, a lot of people in the church teach generational sin today. A lot of the positive confession teachers do. And you've got to get this hex off of you and this and that. And you know, you've got, you know, your mom was this, your dad was that. Listen, you're a new creature. Old things pass away. What are you doing in the trash? Pastor Xavier Reese and claiming the truth of God's forgiveness. Now, there's much more to this study coming up next time. And remember, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD for just $4. And the title to ask for is, The Buck Stops With You. And make sure you share this study with a friend when you're through. So once again, the title to ask for is, The Buck Stops With You. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This is one way we can check on the impact of this ministry in your area. How big is God's grace? That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 